0: be seated. It looks like everybody figured out uh, for those kids to be dismissed. Sorry, I didn't clarify that before the hymn. Uh, But yeah, any kids uh, birth up through age four can go to nursery, and those kids kindergarten through fourth grade can go to children's church if they haven't done so already. In war, two opposing armies will sometimes line up across the field of battle from one another and go toe-to-toe, mano-e-mano. This happened in the Revolutionary War at the Battle of Saratoga. It happened in World War I, at Verdun in World War II, Germany and Russia duked it out at Stalingrad, and currently Ukraine and Russia are doing the same at Bakhmut. Normally when this type of battle is fought, the two sides are relatively equal. Number of soldiers, training, technology, and fortifications all play into how equal two armies are. If one side has less men to fight, it is not normally a good idea to go head to head, unless the smaller side has some advantage of terrain or technology. Good military commanders avoid fighting battles they don't think they can win unless they have no other options. It is advisable to live to fight another day. A lot of being a successful military commander is forcing the other side to fight battles they would rather not fight. An ambush is one way to get an opposing army to fight a battle on terms that are not advantageous to it. A smaller group of soldiers can defeat a larger group if they take them by surprise. Larger, more powerful armies will also set an ambush to trick their inferior opponent into fighting instead of retreating in today's verses God chooses to set an ambush for the Egyptians this is a continuation of our series through the book of Exodus in these verses we learn about God the Egyptians and the Israelites this battle this ambush increases our knowledge Of how God fights against his enemies in this world that would seek the destruction of his people. We may not be fighting physical battles with chariots, swords, and spears. We are in the midst of a spiritual war between God and the forces that resist him. The powers of this world are trying to enslave our souls. God is fighting to free us. If you would please turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Those verses can be found on the Pew Bible, page 52, if that's what you're using. They will also be on the screen behind me. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal zephon You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-haroth. In front of Baal Zephon, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God's plan in these verses doesn't seem to make much sense. Last week, we talked about God sending the Israelites on a detour. In these verses, he is sending them straight into a dead end. They are instructed by God to camp with the Red Sea in between them and where they need to go. Not only have they gone away that doesn't make sense, they have now ended up at a location from which they can't make any meaningful progress. The Israelites don't have boats, they have nothing to build boats with. Even if they did have boats, they wouldn't know how to sail them. If there are any among them that even know how to swim, that number would have been very small. As scary as the desert would have been for the Israelites, open water was even scarier. The desert meant almost certain death. Going into the desert, we talked about this last week, meant death. But it was a slow, drawn out death. Open water, on the other hand, meant certain death. The difference being that death from water was in a fast and unavoidable form. As with the initial detour in the desert, the Israelites find themselves at a dead end next to the sea was part of God's larger plan. God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt because of his love for them. We rightly focus on God's love as his, div- as his defining attribute. The flip side of God's love is his justice. God sends the Israelites into a dead-end situation to create the opportunity to exercise his justice through power. The same God who loves those he has redeemed will punish those who stand in opposition to him. As we'll see in a few minutes, the Egyptians are fiercely opposed to God. God will not tolerate their pride if they will not repent they will be crushed by him. Verse 3 tells us what God is thinking when he sends the Israelites to their dead end by the sea. God knows that Pharaoh's pride will cause him to fall into the trap that God is setting. The Israelites are the bait for that trap. This is hardly a comforting thought for them or us if we are supposed to see similarities between the Israelites' experience and our own. Nobody aspires to be bait. The bait is in a risky situation. That is why it is appealing to predators. Pretty much everybody in this room has probably seen the movie Jurassic Park. And before I even say what I'm about to say, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's this scene in the original Jurassic Park where there's a goat chained in a cage. Now, I've never watched the movie Jurassic Park and thought, you know what? I would love to be that goat, (laughs) right? Like, you know what's coming for the goat, right? You know it is nothing good for the goat. And that is not a situation That any of us wants to be in that does not sound cool not only is being the bait risking personal welfare the bait is also normally weak I don't want to be weak I want to be strong I don't want to be hunted I want to be the hunter the thing is God doesn't normally use the strongest warriors. He uses weaklings that have faith in him. The Israelites were certainly weaklings compared to the Egyptians. They didn't have the numbers, training, or some advanced technology that was going to make it possible for them to win any sort of battle. The impending confrontation that is unfolding in these verses by the Red Sea was a particularly bad location, but it wouldn't have mattered where Israel and Egypt faced off. Any battle between them was going to be a bloodbath in favor of the Egyptians. God uses the weakness of his people to highlight his power against those who oppose him. In 2 Corinthians, God says to Paul that his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. That's just what is developing in these verses. God is using the weakness of the Israelites to exemplify his power. The weakness of the church, God's people, is how God Continues to show his power in the world today. Although recently many Christians appear to have decided we can do just fine on our own without God's power. We feel surrounded, so we look around to see what power we can muster to save ourselves from those that would destroy us. We desperately Fixate on how to develop our own power. Every option is on the table. We pride ourselves at how adept we have become at using the weapons of this world. Unfortunately, in doing so, we turn away from God, the only power that can save us. Human power cannot defeat the enemies of God. Only God's power can. Human power cannot build the kingdom of the Lord. Only God's power can. God knows people forget about his power. You see Pharaoh and the Egyptians lack of regard for God's power in verse 5. They say to themselves, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? That is not really what happened in the preceding chapters. God exhibited his power to the Egyptians through an escalating series of plagues. Pharaoh resisted God's power at every opportunity until he was completely broken by it. The Egyptians have already forgotten the lesson of God's power. They didn't let Israel go. Israel was taken from the Egyptians by God when they recognized their resistance was completely futile. The Israelites leaving Egypt was not a result of the Egyptians choosing to let them go. It was a recognition that if they continued to resist God, their complete destruction would follow shortly thereafter. They seem to have forgotten these recent events and how they had to respond. The Egyptians are not the only people that have quickly forgotten God's power. The Israelites have as well. God has put the Israelites in a situation they cannot flee from. Yes, God is using the Israelites as bait and a trap for Pharaoh's forces. God also knows that if the Israelites were not trapped, they would run away because they don't trust God. The Israelites left Egypt defiantly. But their defiance is short-lived. When they see the Egyptians coming, they fear greatly. Whatever defiance they had disappears. The Israelites in these verses, they're just as ridiculous as the Egyptians. The Israelites have forgotten God's power. The Egyptians were overthrown by God. The Israelites were redeemed by God. Their fear, the Israelites' fear, reflects a complete lack of faith in God. They don't trust God to save them again. If they could run, they would, but they can't. Believers and non-believers still disregard God's power today. There are non-believers that act just as the Egyptians did. They convince themselves that there is no God or that God is not involved in their life. They think how things play out for them as a result of their own choices alone. They live with the delusion they are in control. This sort of thinking isn't always associated with ways of living that we think of as being sinful. Jesus tells a story in Luke 12 of a rich man who builds additional barns to store all his wealth. When the project is completed, he looks at his work and says to himself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The point is not that it is bad to build barns or have wealth. The point is that this guy lives his life based on his power. With no recognition of God's power. Most people living on the North Shore in 2023 are not chasing after God's people in a bloodthirsty quest. They are living like Pharaoh in the man in Jesus' parable and that God's power has no bearing in how they go about their existence. Their defiance of God is as much a result of ignoring him as it is of any intentional defiance. As non-believers operate the way the Egyptians did, so believers today operate the way the Israelites did. We pay lip service to the idea that God has saved us from the world through great acts of power. When things are going our way, we behave defiantly towards the world. When things are not going so well, we completely lose it. We respond with fear and anxiety. We look for some means of saving ourselves from the world. When pressed, we fear the world more than we trust the power of God. We would never say this outright, of course. We are too well trained to say out loud, That we don't trust God's power to overcome the world. It is indicated by how we talk. What we talk about, the tone matters as much as the words we use. How we behave indicates our lack of trust in God's power as well. The power of God is the single most important power that exists in all of creation. The power of God is the single most important power that exists in all of creation. The power of God is the single most important power that exists in all of creation. There is no greater power. This is a point the Bible makes frequently. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 Revelation four eleven. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven. Behold I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The powers of this world are nothing compared to God. Pharaoh thought because he had chariots, he had power. The Israelites agreed with Pharaoh. What a ridiculous position for either to hold. We can chuckle at those that came before us who actually thought, Horses pulling armored carts could not be overcome by the Almighty God. It is no less ridiculous for us to think God couldn't overcome our more modern powers. The power of an F-22 Raptor or an intercontinental ballistic missile may be a billion or a million times more powerful than a horse. Both are still nothing, in comparison to the living God. What we believe about how God operates in the world has an immense impact on our lives. There are situations where we may be tempted to think and act like the Egyptians or the Israelites. The Egyptians use the power they have to control others with lust managers, teachers, parents, anyone with power can operate in this way. A lot of us in this room, most of us in this room have some level of power. And you can you can use that power. You can lord it over those with less. The Israelites' power before the Egyptians because they have less they live in fear every one of us interacts with people that are more powerful than us in different circumstances we have bosses or parents even if we have neither of those we have still have to listen to police officers and others with institutional authority How we view the powers of this world in relation to God's power is going to determine how we go about living. Any who focus primarily on worldly power, as the Egyptians and Israelites did, will not trust in God. They will be prideful like the Egyptians. They will be fearful like the Israelites. Those who remember God's power transcends all worldly power will trust in that power. They will submit to the power of God. They will be content in all situations. Armies using ambushes to accomplish use ambushes to accomplish their military objectives. An inferior army might use an ambush to overcome a more powerful opponent. A strong army might use an ambush to demolish the resistance of a weaker army. In today's verses, it is the latter sort of ambush that is playing out. The Israelites are never at risk as the bait. It appears to Pharaoh... They are weak and can be overtaken easily. It is true they are weak and they could be easily conquered if they, were on their, if they were on their own, but they are not on their own. Pharaoh has failed to take into account the power of God. The Israelites have forgotten God's power as well, which is why they're melting down as the Egyptian army approaches. The result of Of the ambush that God has set is never really in question. God's power is more than sufficient. Christians today might feel similarly to how the Israelites felt as they watched the Egyptians charge towards them. All is lost. It is stainless. God's power is sufficient in all circumstances He will destroy all who oppose him. We only need to stand firm in faith if we are where God has directed us to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for each of us here today. It's it's one thing to hear the sermon or to preach it, Lord. It is another thing to go out of these doors and live our lives without fear of worldly powers or without a hunger to develop worldly power so so that we can get our way, so that we can dominate this world, Lord. I pray that we would trust in your power, that we would know that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that you will be victorious, Lord, and that you are watching over us and care for us, Lord. And I ask that we would be sensitive to to making sure that we are where you have called us to be. That we are not outside of your purposes, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for your power recognizing that no, no sermon can truly relay your great power. That all we can do ultimately is stand in awe of it, Lord. I thank you and I praise you that you use your great power for your good purposes. And we pray that you would continue to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.